Lord Jesus, that is my prayer for us in this moment. That through the truth of your love and the knowledge of that truth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we will be a transformed people. Not people with simply a knowledge, but, but a people that have new life in us, in every aspect of our lives, that you may be glorified, Jesus, and that we may live to the fullness that you have called us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. If you will, please open your Bibles with me to the book of James, chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to let you know that in first service this morning, we had a uh, profession of faith, Alinda Ford, and uh, a, a baptism, Nikolai Malinke. These are two individuals that are on opposite ends of the age spectrum. One is uh, getting to the later portions of her life, and the other is an 11-year-old boy. And yet both are on this journey of being true disciples and followers of Jesus, being more than just uh, people with knowledge, but, but being committed, fully committed. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, the Bible says, James wrote this letter, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters,' If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, but I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. There is a faith. There is a type of belief, whatever word you want us to use, that is false. And it exists strongly in our world people that say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. It exists strongly in Christendom and it might even be in our church. But the question is, is, is that false faith or is it the truth faith that is in your heart? James in his letter may be misconstrued by some. Some may read this passage or they may read the entire book of James and they may kind of have a little bit of angst with it like uh, Martin Luther did. They might, they might be concerned that this could be seen as teaching not only faith, but salvation by works as well. But that's not the intent of this passage. The intent of this passage is to illustrate that there are two types of beliefs or faith. One is false and one is real. But here's the thing. Both of the beliefs, both of the faiths are based upon the exact same ideas. So the knowledge you have is a knowledge that can lead to a true faith, but the knowledge you have is also a knowledge that can exist within a false faith. 
even though they're both the same. Let me illustrate it like this. There is a belief which is purely intellectual, but it makes no difference to my life. It makes no difference to how I am living. I accept it. I believe it is truth, but it has no ultimate impact or no ultimate effect upon me. Years ago, I took this class called geometry. Anybody else have to take a class called geometry? Yes, some of you took geometry. And I took this class called geometry. And in this class, I learned about these things called theorems. And I had a good teacher. This teacher taught me well what a theorem was. And one of the theorems that I've learned, one of the theorems that I learned in that class was was known as the right triangle theorem. Now, let me tell you what the right triangle theorem is because I know that you are anxious to hear what the right triangle theorem is. The right triangle theorem is that if, if in a triangle, if square of one side is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides, then the angle opposite the first side is a right angle. Do you got it? This is what I learned. And, and if I had to, I could probably prove it because I also had to write out these things called proofs. Ugh, you remember those dreaded proofs? You don't have enough steps in your proof, Chad. I remember hearing that all the time. You don't have enough steps in your proof. But in my life, even though I believe that to be true and I've, I've seen evidence for it to be truth, this knowledge in the career path that I've chosen makes no difference whatsoever. None whatsoever at all. I accept it as true, but it has no effect upon me. In fact, geometry probably in general has very little effect upon me. And I don't mean no offense to any math, math, uh, I was going to say geeks, but I mean gurus, um, math, math, smart people out there. Even such that my wife, when she's hanging a picture, she says, why don't you watch the kids and I'll hang the pictures or build the things or whatever. She has a much better understanding of this. I have, I learned this as a child. I, I believe it to be fact. I could even prove it. But after second, after this moment, and this is second service, after this moment, I will probably not repeat this theorem to anyone ever again in my entire life. But there's another kind of a belief, something I also learned when I was a child. And that thing that I learned about when I was a child is about this, monetary value. It's about money. How many of you learned about money when you were kids? Do you remember in the little early math books that we had, you had a one cent and you had the little cent sign, you had to put the cent next to it and two cents and then you add them together and it equals three cents. And and if this thing costs this and you can buy this with this and all these things, you remember learning those things? And I learned this as as a young child about monetary value. Now, I don't know if you go to Costco ever, but at Costco, if you have a quarter, you can buy a bottle of water. Isn't that wonderful? Well, I have $10 here and I have a a bottle of water worth about a quarter. Now, if I go to Costco and I see on the machine there, it says 25 cents, I am not going to let them have all of my $10. Now, I know inflation is going up, so maybe this is going to be 75 cents soon. But, but, I am not going to let them have all of my $10 because I learned this fact as a child that has impacted my entire life. In fact, to such a degree that that other than Sabbath, I use this fact probably every single day in some capacity. 
I buy something, I see, or I go somewhere, I see what the value is, I get the money. Both facts, both the theorem, the right, tri the triangle, right? See, I can't even repeat the theorem now, so. The theorem about the triangle and the right angle of the triangle and about the monetary value are both things that I learned when I was younger. I saw them proved, proven. I saw them to be fact and to be true. But one has absolutely no impact on my life. I've chosen not to use it in any shape or form. But another one I use on a consistent daily basis. James is arguing against us treating the things of God like the right, like the triangle right angle theorem. The idea that we have beliefs, we accept those beliefs as facts, we can even prove those beliefs as facts if we need to, and yet in our daily, day-to-day -day life, they have absolutely no impact on our actions and our operations of things. James then illustrates these two different types of belief, of faith, or faith as we can call them, with a group of persons, a group of individuals, and two persons. The false faith, verse 19, or I'll start in verse 18. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? I love this next word. Good. So what? Good. Even the demons believe this. You believe that Sabbath is the right day to honor God? Good. Even the demons believe this. You believe that God wants to save people? Good. Even the demons believe this. That's why they're fighting so hard against us. You believe that this is the word of God? Good. Even the demons believe this to be true. There is a faith that's based upon all the things that we believe that is false because it has no impact on our daily lives. But then there is a good faith. The Bible says, was not Abraham, was not our father Abraham, verse 21, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And then jumping down to verse 25, in the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The demons, Abraham, Rahab, they all believed in the same God. They all believed in the same thing, but the demons have fear and Abraham and Rahab are friends of God. And what makes the difference? The Abraham and Rahab believe that the knowledge of God and the power of God is something to behold and they allow it to transform their lives. You can believe something, but if you don't allow it to enter into your heart, into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we just sang about, then it will not transform your life. 
Now, again, we get worried about, are we saying that, that, that we're saved by works? No, we're not saved by works so that no man can boast. We're saved by grace through faith. But even Jesus himself said that by their fruits, you shall know them. In other words, what you believe, if you truly believe it, if it is, well, let me not even say it that way. What you believe, if it truly is a part of your life, then people will be able to see it through the evidence that you give in your life. The evidence of our lives. So I want to ask us today, which are we? Are we believers that are also disciples like Abraham and Rahab? Or are we just believers like Satan's demons? Recently, I read something that Glenn Townen and Lay Rice wrote. I was reading a book that's something they wrote in and Glenn Townen, for those of you that may recognize that, that name, he is the president of the South Pacific Division. And not too many weeks ago, he was up here on this stage with Anthony Kent in a bicycle. He was one of the individuals that rode his bike from here to St. Louis, passing out your Bible and you and the great controversy and Bibles to thousands of people. We need to pray for those seeds that were planted as they rode those bikes across country. But but in this, this thing that I was reading, they were writing about discipleship in relationship to church membership. And there was this line that they wrote. They said, disciples will be members, but members may not be disciples. I will state that slightly different for this message. Not all believers are disciples, but all disciples are believers. So which are you? Are you a disciple who is a believer or are you simply a believer like the demons? The evidence is in the outcome of our lives. And the standard is high. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there real quick, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. We're studying the book of Ephesians in our, my men's connect group. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, Here's the standard of, of the evidence of our lives and the faith being lived out. Speaking the truth in love, listen to this, we will grow to become, and this is a, is a tough word, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We will grow to become in every respect like Christ. Think about that for a moment. In your life, start thinking about, about your life and, and just walk your way through it. In every respect, in our finances, they are like Christ. In our, in our time management, it is like Christ. In the things that we put before our eyes, they are like Christ. In how we interact with our neighbors, it is like Christ. In how we, the ethics that we live by within our, within our workplace, it is like Christ. With how we welcome strangers and, and foreigners into our land and into our world, it is like Christ. In every respect, we are asking the question, are we growing like Christ? Now, Paul here is writing to a corporate body and he's saying the body as a collective whole should grow up into being in every respect like Christ. But folks, I can put together a thing that says our new motto, our mission statement is that in every respect, we are like Christ. But unless the members of that body, the individual people in that body commit to that same mission, it's just a motto on a wall. It's nothing more. 
The body, the corporate body, the collective body, the church body does not become in every respect like Christ unless we individually say, Jesus, change me that in every respect I may be like you. Jesus told us this is his call to us. Luke chapter six and verse 40. What does it tell us in Luke chapter six and verse 40? It says, no student is above their master but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that if you are truly committed to me, that that truly you you believe that, that salvation has the power to change your life, that in every way you will begin to be like me, your teacher, Jesus says to us. There are many believers. There are many believers that believe exactly like we do. But I want to challenge you to be more than believers. I want you to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to reflect him in every aspect of your life. I want you to have a faith that is life transforming, that, that, that changes you from the inside out. You're not baptized and done. You're baptized and now you're growing and you're growing and you're growing in Jesus Christ. I would guess that if I asked how many people want to be disciples and not just mere believers in ideas, that that all of us, whether truly or not, we would raise our hands. But hopefully all of us truly would say that. But we have to take a moment to analyze if that's really true. And, and, And I know that in my life, I can say I believe something, but unless I step back and look at my life and say, okay, am I really living by that belief? Am I being consistent with who I say I am? then nothing actually changes. And so I want to invite you for just a moment to, 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 as we allow me to unpack some of the differences between those who just believe and call themselves church members and those who believe and are transformed into disciples of Jesus. And sincerely, can I ask you to do something? Just in your heart, pray that, God will convict you if there's anything that's not growing in every respect to be like Christ. I borrow a few of these from Elder Townend, but also some of these are my own. Now, let me tell you about the one thing that is not the difference, and I already mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again. A member has knowledge. A believer has knowledge. A disciple has knowledge. There is no difference there. This is important because some people think if I just get more knowledge, then I'll be more this. Or if I just get more knowledge, then I'll be more that. This was my dad years ago when I, when I came to him and I said to my dad, hey, dad, you're growing in Christ. You should really be giving Bible studies. He said, oh, I can't do that. I said, why not? He said, I don't, I don't know enough. I need to know more. I said, no, you should just do it. You should just get out there and do it. No, 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 no. I don't know, no, no, no enough. Well, then you need, to, you need to study and you can learn and you can just get out there and go, no, no, I don't think that. I go, dad, do you realize you have what? I said, I knew, knew this because my mom paid for you to go through college all those years. You have like three different college degrees. You have a couple masters. You have a doctorate. I think you can do okay. Now just stop making excuses. And I sent them out. And now there are 13 people that have been baptized because my dad has met people, just neighbors and everything else. But, but, but sometimes we think, well, if, if I just get enough knowledge, no, 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 no. Because the demons have more knowledge than any of us. 
I bet the demons understand this book better than all of us. The demons understand the workings of the human psyche and things better than, than many of us. And yet, so what? It hasn't changed anything for them. So it's not just about knowledge. It's about how that knowledge is lived out in your life. So here it goes. A member depends upon the pastor to minister for Jesus. A disciple is active at all times in ministering for Jesus. First Corinthians chapter seven and verse 17. Nevertheless, each person, each person, not just pastors, each person should live as a believer. And what does he mean by believer there? In whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as called them. This is the rule I lay down in all churches, that every single one of us have been assigned a role, assigned a duty, and we should live out that role and that duty in our lives. A member expects to be cared for by the church. A disciple cares for others in the church. Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. A member defines church as an event that they attend. A disciple is the church in their home, in their neighborhood, in their workplace. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you've seen The Godfather, you know the rest of the story. Guess no Godfather fans here. We'll move on. First Peter chapter three, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer. Well, if I come to church on Sabbath and my neighbors see me leaving my house, they'll know that I'm a, uh, that I'm a little bit different. And so that's my witnesses. They just see me leaving on Saturday morning. I had one neighbor actually stop me in the road one time and said, you guys always are dressed differently on Saturday. Where are you going? Well, good, I did my duty. I went out on Saturday in a different clothes and now I'm good to go. No, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. On Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Sabbath, always be prepared. A member gets fed sitting in a pew where a disciple is fed as they feed others in smaller groups, both physically feeding them and spiritually feeding them. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were eating together and they were, they were studying together and they were praying together and they were sharing together in these smaller communities. And, and God was just exploding their church. A member tries to figure out the minimum that can be done. The minimum to give, the minimum time necessary, the minimum to be done. A disciple looks at their lives and says, what can I take out in order to put in more for God? In order to put in more for God. We just came through nominating committee and I have to say it's my favorite nominating committee I've ever been a part of. And it might've been because we practiced Acts chapter two 
where we fed everybody before every nominating committee, and people seemed like they really wanted to be there. People came early to nominating committee, and, and over 80% of the people who were part of the nominating committee showed up for nominating committee. And folks, we don't have like a 10-person nominating committee in this, in this church. We have 87 people were in nominating committee, and we had 60 to 70 plus every single time that we met. And people told me, oh, this has been such a great nominating committee. But always I've dreaded nominating committees throughout my ministry because one of the first questions I'm always asked, and it always grates at my soul, is, is this question. Well, how often do I actually have to do this? You know, I could maybe deal with like, you know, what's the time commitment or something? But, but the words, how often do I actually have to do this? That word actually have to do this makes me go, man, this person is excited about serving Jesus. I just got to go put this person an example. They're so excited about actually have to do this. And it struggles, it struggles, but, but, but man, the, the disciple says, God's calling me to this. What can I take out of my life to make more room for God? I've watched my wife grow in this way, to be honest with you. She has not, she's probably, she's not here, so, um, and she doesn't ever watch me, so I'm going to say this. <laughs> They're in Ohio. My family's in Ohio. It's my parents' 50th anniversary, so pray that I can get out on a flight this evening because uh, it's supposed to rain, but they're going to cancel flights like nothing. You might have seen that Delta is offering $10,000. I love my parents and I love that it's their 50th anniversary and I want to be there to celebrate them. But if American Airlines tonight offers me $10,000, I'm going to say, mom and dad, I love you. I'll do FaceTime. <laughs> but anyways, uh, but Christina's not here. But you know, I've watched Christina in this because she used to like um, uh, uh, these crime shows like CSI. Have you seen these things? She used to like to watch some of these on the, on the computer. And... Um, but sometimes when you get caught up in those, you stay up too late or you get in, you know, you watch too late or it messes with your brain. You have bad dreams. You don't sleep well. And then you have a hard time getting up in the morning. Christina, my wife, gets up every single morning at about 4 to 4.30 in the morning, does her worship, does her time with God, does her exercise, all these things. I've watched her. She's not watched anything for probably close to three years now because she didn't want to not have her full self in that time with God. You know, that's, I'm not gonna think, what can I keep in? I'm gonna say, what can I take out? And she said, I wanna give all of myself to Jesus, so I'm gonna take something out so I can have more of Jesus. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting in money. You know this story. Many rich people threw in large amounts of money, but a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. They all gave of their extra. But she looked at what she has had and said, Jesus, what do you want me to give to you? And God, what do you want me to give to you? And she gave that. She put in everything, all she had to live on. The point of the story sometimes is people saying, well, rich people are bad, poor people are good. Rich people don't give enough, poor people give everything. No, 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 that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, is 
the conviction of your heart, asking the question, not simply what I'm giving just for, to give that. A member likes to serve for appreciation and have titles and is offended if no one notices. A disciple sacrifices and serves without recognition. Matthew chapter six and verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. A member only asks for prayers, but a disciple is committed to praying for others. Are you committed to praying for others? Colossians chapter one and verse nine, Paul says, ever since I heard about all of you, I have not stopped praying for you daily. The best example in my life of this is my nine-year-old son. He is a prayer warrior. He prays for things. There is a pastor that, was, that is a friend of, of Christina's. I've never met him, but he was Christina's childhood pastor and he got uh, uh, very sick and, and, and they told him, you're not gonna have much longer to live. And my son Levi, and I'm not saying it's just Levi, other people are praying, but Levi would pray for Pastor Tidequay and prays for Pastor Tidequay every night. This guy that was supposed to live a year is alive now, like six years later. And Levi never forgets. Every time we say, Levi, will you pray? He prays and he prays for all of these folk. He was praying for Pastor Vanneman for all the time he was sick. And you know what he did on his own? He just switched it. When Pastor Vanneman passed away, he just started praying and please be with Mrs. Vanneman. And he prays for Judy Vanneman all the time. Malin, the other night we were praying and the, and the prayer ended and we were saying goodnight and all of a sudden Levi goes, oh, and please be with uh, Pastor Gaspar's wife, Malin, and we thank you, Jesus. And he just remembers all the time. He prays. If you want someone to pray for you, find my nine-year-old son next week and write down what you want him to pray for. And I'm telling you, he will pray for it and he will pray for it for eternity. Disciples pray for things. They're committed to that. A member is influenced by the world. The disciple transforms the world around them. You remember the story in the book of Acts when Paul and, and some, of his follow, some of his friends and disciples, they go into a city, they go into Figuria, I think it is, and, and they're preaching and they're, they're doing miracles and they're doing all kinds of things and they're in this city. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 13 and verse 44, the Bible says, and on the next Sabbath, almost the entire city came to hear the word of God. Imagine having such an impact, not being transformed by the world, not being transformed by the things in the world. Man, I watch the news. I watch CNN. I watch Fox. I watch, I watch whatever other news stations there are that people watch. I watch these things and I'm angry and I'm all that. And I'm thinking this world is this and that. No, what if, what if you are a transformative power in the world, rather than the world transforming you, you were a transformative power in the world so that in your sphere, people were coming and saying, man, I want to hear about Jesus from you. And finally, my last one, a member wants to be in heaven, but a disciple works for others to be in heaven with them. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples will be members. Disciples will be believers. But not all members and not all believers are disciples. Friends, are you a member? Are you simply a believer? Or does what Jesus Christ has done for you and the knowledge that he has blessed you with, whatever that knowledge is, have you allowed it to transform your life 
so that you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today to be more than a believer. And may the world know in every respect of our lives who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for calling us to be more than believers. The angels of hell, the demons of darkness, believe the same things that we do. But the difference is, is that they don't have one belief, and that is the belief that you have the power to transform lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you will take us to, to a higher level, to a higher ground, to, to a place that is beyond ourselves. That place we sung about, Holy Spirit, come alive in us and transform us. Lord, it doesn't matter if you're an 11-year-old like Nikolai getting baptized or you're retired like Alinda coming through profession of faith. It doesn't matter if you're a nine-year-old like Levi or if you're like my wife. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, educated or uneducated. Lord, what matters is that we surrender our lives to you and that we allow you to make us in every respect more like you every single day. Lord, may the world see through our actions the beauty, the love, the hope of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, I ask for myself, for my brothers and sisters in here, Thank you for your grace and continue to be patient with us when we come up short. But Lord, always hold on to us and may we never let go of you until like Israel, we know that you have blessed us indeed. In your name we pray, amen.